Today on IFS Talks, we're excited to get to know Daphne Fatter. Daphne is from Dallas, Texas. She's a licensed psychologist, certified IFS therapist, and approved clinical IFS consultant. She has a private practice specializing in trauma and addressing legacy burdens, including the impact of oppression, marginalized identities, racism, and collective trauma. She also teaches on trauma treatment and on white race socialization in the U.S. Daphne is an ancestral medicine practitioner, and she integrates working with ancestral guides with IFS. She's a student of animism and has also studied with teachers of Taoist, Mahayana, and Theravada Buddhist meditation practices. She also has published professionally on mindfulness. Her ancestors are from Ireland, United Kingdom, Switzerland, Germany, and Scandinavia. She lives on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Comanche, Wichita, and Caddo peoples. Daphne, welcome to IFS Talks. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks much, Daphne, for willing to sit with us. What parts come up today during your bio? Oh, I was kind of tracking that, uh, listening to my bio. And yeah, just parts that are reflecting on just different chapters of my life and kind of where I am now and just grateful for the present. Daphne, I find uh, Daniel for teachings on ancestral medicines, mind-expanding, life-enhancing teachings. Daniel and other authors claim these ancestors' work can help us with psychological healing once many patterns have ancestral sources, increase our sense of belonging, help address the destruction that's happening in our world, and more. Daphne, you have been a student and a collaborator with Daniel Four, right? We may need a glossary of terms today and your help here today to navigate this animist and spiritual world. So let's start off with the fundamental question. Who are the ancestors? And I understood we may have blood ancestors, lineage ancestors, or affinity ancestors. So who are the ancestors? Great question. Yeah. So first, I want to definitely acknowledge Daniel for um, that this is his, you know, method um, that I'm a student of. So really grateful for him and his mentorship. So our ancestors refer to our blood kin from who we are descendants. Um, So in the ancestral uh, lineage work and repair work, it's really about connecting with well ancestral guides initially on your four main blood lineages. So what that means is your mother's mother's line, your mother's father's line, your father's father's line, and your father's mother's line. Um, And so that really is who our ancestors are. The affinity ancestors is more, you know, family can be complex. That whole phrase of we can choose our family. So we can have guides and spirit that are not our blood kin. Um, so that would be more our uh, affinity ancestors or guides. So in our field, for instance, psychology, big names, big authors could be could be felt by us as affinity ancestors as well. Yeah, yeah. Daphne, how did you stumble upon working with 
guides and ancestral medicine? What's your journey been like? My journey's been lifelong, to be honest. So um, since I was a child, I was very well aware of spirits. And as a child, really could tell that some spirits were well and some spirits were not well in spirit. So really sort of noticed that discernment of uh, how well the spirits are um, just as a child. And so um, I came to Daniel's work and working with ancestral guides uh, is part of my journey, actually part of my IFS journey. So I have to give credit to, to Chris Burris, who recommended that I look into this work. Oh, well then. Just to continue my journey and get to know my system and my, you know, my guides. What did you discover about yourself and, and your ancestors as, as you looked into that? Um, well, it helped me make sense of a lot of uh, legacy burdens that I, my, my system has been carrying. Um, and gosh, what I discovered about myself is really how much I'm a reflection of my ancestors you know, down lineage. I'm down lineage from them and I'm a full embodiment of, um, of their gifts and their blessings. And I think doing more IFS and integrating IFS with working with the guides has helped me really unpack also the burdens, some of the legacy burdens that I've been carrying as a result of also being down lineage. So, Daphne, why should we practice ancestors' reverence or honoring our ancestors or try to connect with them? Why should we practice this? Well, it can be an absolutely life-changing experience. In my experience personally, as well as guiding clients in this work, is that it can really, for one, shift our conceptualization of uh, uh, duality or separateness. So it can really lend itself to to sort of more non-dual approaches um, relationally. Also, um, it can give people a sense of belonging, a felt sense of belonging in their bones and in their body that perhaps has never been experienced before. I mean, it can just be life-changing. What is this practice ultimately based on? Yeah, so this practice, the, the practice um, of ancestral medicine is based on animism. And animism really refers to the recognition that living humans are just one kind of uh, being that has consciousness in a much wider field of relationships. Um, this wider field may include um, animals, our, our four-legged loved ones, um, Plants, nature, mountains, rivers, uh, stones, um, elements, um, deities. So it's really the awareness that we are part of a larger web of consciousness. And that web also includes um, the dead, okay, in that web. So our, our ancestors are part of that web. Is there a, a belief system or idea that your clients or, or people working with ancestral medicine um, need to ascribe to or tap into to be able to connect with that level of consciousness? Great question. So this is um, non-dogmatic and really it's based on the assumptions that 
there's consciousness that continues after death, that not all the dead are equally well in spirit. Um, also in the assumption that the living and the dead can communicate and that the living and the dead can strongly impact each other. There is this uh, dynamic relationship happening between the living and the dead. So those are really the, the assumptions that, um, that are part of this work. And I will say, um, similar to with IFS, the assumption that everyone has, a, has self energy, I'd say the assumption in, in this work too is that everyone has well and loving ancestors in spirit. Um, so that assumption is also part of this. And it's really about relationally connecting to them, developing that relationship, and asking those well guides to serve as a guide and help heal the lineage and spirit with whatever repair work is needed. So, Daphne, ancestors help us to connect, help us get a sense of belonging, and they also can guide us, as you were saying. So, um, how do we find a guide, and how do you know if it's a guide? So, in terms of finding a guide, um, in this practice, there's some sort of spe some specific steps in terms of creating energetic boundaries and practicing some ritual safety um, around that. Um, and setting the intention, um, deciding what lineage one is starting with and um, setting a, an intention to connect with a well guide. Um, and then the question of how do you know it's a guide is a really important one. So in this practice, there are ways to sort of vet the, whoever shows up, which is very important because again, one of the assumptions is not, not everybody that's gonna show up is necessarily well. And so we, we ask whatever spirit shows up um, some very specific questions, including, are you a, an ancestor on this lineage? Are you well in spirit? Are you well with the ones before you? Can you be a guide? And does the person feel safe kind of being in their presence? So you, you just ask. Yeah, you just ask. That's, right. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's right. Yes, just ask. I was curious uh, um, about whether you can do this type of work with someone um, on Zoom, whether you need to be in the room to kind of feel that ancestral energy. Um, just kind of curious about how it's been going over the pandemic. Yeah. So done. I've done the bulk of, of uh, a lot of seeing clients during the pandemic. You doing this work using Zoom, and it is it is uh, just as real and effective over Zoom. So you, you, while yes, you can certainly do this in person, um, that's not necessary for it to be um, just as effective. Um, the ancestors are with us. Zoom is a wonderful, accessible way for this practice to to get out there in the world. And then is there any um, sort of internal or external factors that make it more conducive to inviting the ancestors in? Um, I think internal factors um, would be, again, kind of going back to that intention. Um, the ritual safety piece is important. So being able to just have a... Um, a sense and a practice to be able to call in some, just some protective energy um, prior to that initial uh, 
request with to to meet a well guide on the line. And then external factors, I mean, not really. They're um, you know, wherever somebody is, there you are, and so are your ancestors. So um, yeah, so really no external factors. Uh, more of the practice around ritual safety is important. So you have you have some prescribed methods that you bring people in and bring people into contact with their ancestors with. Yes. And how do how do our listeners um, tap into that information if they wanted to begin doing the work? Absolutely. So I would refer anyone listening to this to um, ancestralmedicine.org, uh, which is uh, Dr. Daniel Four's um, organization of practitioners. It's a whole network of practitioners. There's also classes online that people can can do and different offerings. So. Daphne, honoring is about connecting with those ancestors. Should we or is it helpful to have our own altar or go to the church to honor or heal our ancestors? Sure. It's whatever feels right for the person. So this is very client-centered. Um, so if a person, if a client feels um, pulled to have an altar or a space in their home, um, to honor their ancestors, um, and that feels right for them. Sometimes it's inside of the home. It can be outside of the home. It can be an external place, like a, um, you know, a church or a mosque or or what have you, or a sacred place in nature. So there's really no sort of right or wrong way when it comes to ancestor reverence. It's really about what the person feels pulled to do to really honor their own um, ancestors. And what can step in the way? What can prevent us from doing this reverence? I can imagine we can have fearful parts, concerned parts. Yes, I was just going to say parts can get in the way. So, yeah. And one of the things that I'm discovering the more I work with my own system and ancestors, as well as the more I work with clients in this work, is that, um, you know, our attachment systems, um, our attachment patterns, our, our parts, ways of showing up in relationship also get reflected in the relationship uh, sometimes with the ancestors initially in terms of fearful parts, anxious parts. Are they going to accept me? Am I going to get rejected? Um, are they going to try to trick me? You know, those types of parts can definitely um, come up um, in this work. And also receive healing in this work, I will say. Oh, you mean the ancestors or our parts? Our parts. Our parts. Yeah, our parts. And so there's an overlap between this work and IFS. Yes, there's a beautiful like? overlap. Yeah. yeah, so it can... it. Um, can show up in a lot of different ways. Really, once a person has a relationship with a well ancestral guide, um, they're nurturing that relationship. Um, just like a person in IFS is nurturing the relationship between self and their parts, it's very similar. It's just nurturing that relationship between self and one's well ancestors. Um, we can call on the ancestral guides for help during our IFS sessions, um, whether that be anything from helping us unblend to really strengthening self-energy, knowing that the well ancestral guide is really a representation of uh, collective self-energy. So in order to do this work, I guess we need a safe container. 
in which you can explore, connect and heal. So, does the IFS protocol offers enough of this safe container? Or what do we need to have in order to offer more safety? Yeah, IFS does offer a safe container for this work. I mean, similar to, um, you know, similar to IFS, it's, it's really about discernment um, and some sense of um, getting to know oneself. The establishment of boundaries, like I said, for ritual safety is important. So I think that IFS lends itself well for that in terms of saying, okay, is somebody in self-energy, from self-energy, um, you know, let's set a boundary. Let's also, we can call in protective guides. If, if a person already has a relationship with protective guides that they know and trust, we can call in for their help to help clear our space and set a boundary. Um, in terms of the, like I said, with the overlap with IFS and ancestral medicine, working with guides, um, another really uh, helpful place in IFS to um, the IFS protocol to have ancestral guides help is with legacy burdens. So that can be life-changing. And the more I do this work, the more I'm discovering just that there are different types of legacy burdens, right? And we can ask our guides to tell us about, okay, when did this legacy burden start in the lineage? What were contributing factors? Um, was it more having to do with the recently dead? Did it go further back on the line? Just to really unpack that. Um, and then the guides can help with the unburdening process with legacy burdens. Well, it sounds like there's steps to that healing process, to that legacy or ancestral repair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about like um, with, within my own family, there was a really strong uh, burden of poverty along my, the Irish side for a long time. And is the healing process that you use, is it similar um, to, you know, kind of going through an unburdening with IFS or are there different steps? Yeah, great question. So there's different steps. So there's with um, ancestral lineage repair, it's really about asking the guide. So first we do an assessment. We learn, okay, how well is each lineage? How well are they in spirit? Okay, so we can get a sense of that. Then the client decides what lineage they want to start with. It's a process of finding the guide on that line. And then asking the guide to um, repair all the ones in between the guide and the living client. Okay, so everyone that's deceased from the recently dead all the way through to the guide, um, we ask the guide to create um, healing. And the guide knows what to do with that. It's just a matter of asking. Um, and then when, you know, for some people, that's going to, uh, it's going to depend on how long, quote unquote, that takes, um, you know, really following the leadership of the guide. Um, and then once the lineage is repaired, meaning that everyone is well in spirit in that line, um, then that's at a point where for one, the guide can extend blessings to the bones, the remains, as well as all the living. Um, and then at that point, the lineage is considered to be at a place where um, can really do a lot of legacy 
unburdening, okay, with a client. So like with you're talking about Tisha with poverty, um, with the impact of that type of oppression, um, you know, specific le legacy burdens that you may be holding in your system, we would ask the guide, what is the antidote for that? Um, and asking the guide for that information, um, bringing that to the exile, um, having the exile self and the guide be in relationship with each other. Um, and then helping with the unburdening process. So Daphne, I can see that IFS legacy burdens protocol and lineage repair work can inform each other. Is there any moment where they can also conflict? Um, well, I think, you know, with... I've completely changed how I do legacy burdens if a client has a relationship with a well ancestral guide. So really I see um, a shift uh, that would be helpful with the IFS legacy burden protocol is really letting the ancestral guide work with the dead, right? Rather than the client um, necessarily sending it back to the dead. It's more giving it to the, letting the well ancestral guide work with the dead and be that, um, be that mediator between the client and the dead. Because until the line is repaired, there could be some unwellness on that line, you know? So if we, um, you know, we really let the guide do the work with the, the collective dead and, um, so the shift in the protocol is really asking the guide and following the leadership of the guide, knowing that the guide is a reflection of collective self-energy. Daphne, we can somehow call on ancestors, but ancestors can also call and contact us through dreams, or how do we work with this? Sure. So, yes. Um, Ancestors can show up um, in lots of different ways. And I know for me, um, when I, after I started doing this work and really developing those relationships with my well guides, I started having a lot more spirits show up in session with my clients. <laughs> Suddenly it's like, they're there, they, you know, grandmother's here or, you know, what have you. Um, so how to work with this. I mean, if they're showing up in dreams, Mm -hmm. Again, if you have that that um, relationship with the well guide, bringing it to the guide and asking them, why were they trying to communicate? Um, I think one of the things that I've learned from doing this work is that um, when, um, when the dead shows up, right, there sometimes can be an assumption that they're well in spirit. And so... Um, you know, it's important for us to use our discernment and ask the guide, okay, what is the message of that was coming through, whether it be a dream, um, if a spirit shows up in session, having some discernment and um, asking the guide, okay, is this a well, uh, is this a well deceased family member in spirit? Um, and having the guide again, work with the dead. Um, yes. So it, while you know, the dead can show up in all different states. Again, sort of just being curious about any assumptions that we're making around that they're they're well. Sometimes they're not. What up. happens if they're not well? Yeah. So just like exiles, um, 
particularly recently dead, um, can show up and are more vulnerable to show up and might really want our attention. And that might show up in very invasive ways, similar to exiles really wanting our intention and really wanting healing. Um, so when that happens, bringing it back to the guide and helping them, asking the guide around, okay, please help this one that's showing up that's in need of help. So again, using the guide as that collective source of self-energy and letting the guide work with the dead uh, directly rather than the living person. Yeah, so that's really, to that's a way to do it that's very ritually safe. Do you have any um, stories or experiences that you would be open to sharing with us, uh, kind of profound or impactful? Gosh. I'm sure um, you have many. Uh, I have many stories, yes. It, it makes it um, <laughs> so easy to connect with the, the story around this type of work. You know, I can share some things just from working with my own lineages, discoveries I've made, um, and changes that have happened. I know even recently I was working with one of my male lines um, who, uh, you know, just went to a deeper place of healing um, in that lineage. And I've noticed some real changes, even changes in my body from that. Um, for example, um, my taste buds changing, like craving grapefruit juice and more bitter. Um, I have never been able to drink coffee my whole life until just the past few months. And now I'm like, oh, great. I love coffee. <laughs> it used to make me very anxious. Um, I think energetically sort of sitting in a different place in my body from this work, um, kind of really more connect being embodied, but also with this particular lineage, a little bit more fire energy in that lineage. And so I'm craving a little bit more bitter. So I'm able to drink coffee now that I'm 45 years old. So, <laughs> so was that work um, a legacy unburdening or was it connecting or was it healing an unwell ancestor? That specific lineage was healing a one uh, unwell ancestor that had caused a lot of harm, um, which would be my my great grandfather, who um, uh, was an ancestor that was a family member that caused a lot of harm in the family as well as just sort of systemically. So, um, yes. So when that ancestor, when that when my great grandfather was actually in a healing cocoon, thanks to that ancestral guide, huge shift in energy in my body. Um, that lineage is so much more settled. And um, I, I mean, I have connection with that lineage even right now as I'm talking and that, um, you know, that great grandfather is so grateful to get some healing. There's a lot less uh, restlessness and there's a lot more uh, healthy masculine energy on that on that line in the process of him getting healed. He initially, I've been working with this line for um, about a year and a half. And he, that particular ancestor, and this is a great example of different ways that lineages can kind of get botched, that that um, particular ancestor uh, did not initially want connection with the guide. He wanted to be the guide, right? So he initially showed up to me wanting um wanting to have that relationship with me and wanted wanting a relationship with me. Um, and there was, uh, you know, 
in terms of the recently dead really being received by the whole lineage that needed to happen. And so the guide was able to make that connection, um, which has completely shifted energy for me. So in terms of feeling less restless, less anxious, um, like I say, now I'm craving coffee and I, I like coffee now. So <laughs> wild ways that this practice can shift things. I can imagine that for many educated on empiricism and materialistic rationalism, it's a huge challenge to believe that we can continue to evolve after death. It looks like a hard sell. Do you find many skeptical parts? Um, you know, it, it, I think it depends on the culture of the client. It really does. Um, you know, at some point in time, Across the world, ancestor reverence was a normal thing. Talking to the dead was a normal, everyday thing. And so, um, you know, we can be curious about the impact of colonialism um, uh, and different cultural influences that have taken us away or pathologized relationship with our family that are deceased, you know. Um, so we can just be curious about systemic influences, cultural influences, the influence of, you know, colonialism oh, yeah. on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but yes, it can definitely activate parts that are skeptical that, um, or might have had previous traumatic experiences trying to, wanting to connect and didn't. So whether that be from a person's lived experience or whether that be more of a reflection of lineage energy, um, we can just invite in a lot of curiosity about that. Is there um, a vision that you have or that um, people that work with ancestral medicine have to apply this on a macro scale to assist with, you know, the systemic racism and systemic injustice that has been uh, really part of, especially our American legacy and how, yes. what would that look like and how do we work with it? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I only can speak for myself, but I do think that this work lends itself well to collective healing. We think about collective trauma, we, we're aware of the systemic racism um, and the impact of oppression and marginalized identities. Um, uh, this does lend itself well to some collective healing. Um, and not only, and I know, you know, speaking for myself as a person who identifies as a white American and has all sort of Western, Northern European ancestry, um, it also can help uh, look at accountability and help us um, talk to the ancestors about that in terms of um, white supremacy. I know in this particular line I spoke of with this great grandfather, um, you know, that specific line um, particip actively participated in, in white supremacy and caused harm. And so asking the ancestor, okay, what is my, how do I embody the accountability for that in this life, in my body, in this lifetime? Um, and if we think about that collectively and the power that account, like uh, actually being accountable and having some ethical responsibility and really embodying that, what that can look like could definitely shift our systems and our culture. Daphne, what is coming for you for the coming days besides the Ancestral Lineage Repair Workshop in September with Daniel Steen? 
Yes, I'm so excited to be offering that um, workshop. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I have a lot of ideas, right? I really can see ways that ancestral medicine can um, contribute to the IFS model um, and enhance the model. Uh, I also think that it can be integrated and applied um, into more mainstream psychology. Um, we think of uh, grief therapy. Um, we think of uh, our notions of the dead and ways we relate to the recently dead in particular, since those are the ones we're more familiar with. Um, so I see a lot of possibilities um, in terms of application of ancestral medicine and working with ancestral guides in many different healing modalities within psychology. Beautiful. Daphne, it's such a joy to talk to you. Looking forward to more from you on ancestral medicine. Thank you for helping us with such an amazing topic. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha, and uh, we hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work, and our lives. Thank you so much to both of you. This has been wonderful. Mm -hmm.